Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. When you are attached to the way things are, it's very difficult to put your faith in anything else. You do not trust yourself to risk experiencing anything other than what you already know. You do not trust life to bring you the results or rewards you desire. You do not trust that you can and will handle whatever comes your way. Without trust, there can be no faith. Without faith, you will hold on to what you know. In the process, you will not be making any progress. Attachment is another way of saying, I don't have faith in anything else. I know what this is. I can handle this. You want to control your experiences and your responses. You see, rather than fight with you for control, life will send you into the pit of stagnation. This can be extremely painful. Attachment reflects a lack of faith in your ability to learn. Learning takes place three ways. You learn by force. You learn by choice. You learn by being forced to make a choice. When you are attached to what you know or what you can control, chances are you will be forced to make a choice. You can choose to stay attached and be stagnated in pain and confusion, or you can let go in faith that your next experience will be exactly what you need but did not know you needed. Until today, you may have been holding on, attached to the way things are. In the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Leonard Blair helps you open your heart to the possibility that there is something great waiting for you. Here is where you can be comfortable to let go of anything or anyone you are attached to, freeing you in faith so that you will be pleasantly surprised. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for helping us stretch faith beyond what we know to a greater and grander experience of becoming faith-filled and fear-free. How are you, Archbishop? Fine, thank you. Well, today, this weekend, actually, is a very special weekend in the Archdiocese of Hartford. It's the 2020 Archbishop's Annual Appeal Kickoff Weekend. Talk a little bit about um, what the appeal means in the archdiocese and where some of the funding goes, what it helps us do within the archdiocese. Yes, well, uh, it is a very vital part of uh, the ministries and outreach of our archdiocese. Last year, thanks to the generosity of the Catholic people, we were able to contribute over a million dollars to over 220-some local charities uh, that are doing wonderful work, everything from... Um, homeless shelters to uh, soup kitchens to help for people with addictions, uh, all of those things that we, we always highlight. And uh, so that's always kind of the the, uh, the face of the appeal. But again, uh, for all the money that's raised, last year it was almost $10 million. It also goes to so many other things as well, the education of our seminarians and a very uh, significant uh, amount to Catholic charities for their ongoing work for the Malta van. I don't know if perhaps our, many of our listeners know, but some may not, the Knights and Dames of Malta, a historic order of charity in the church, uh, a lay, lay organization, ha- initiated some years ago these vans, that medically equipped, specially constructed vans that uh, are parked at different locations in Waterbury and Hartford uh, in order to uh, provide really good health care for people who are uninsured and otherwise have no place to go. 
and uh, I don't remember the exact statistic. I should after I said it so many times at these AAA dinners, but literally thousands of people uh, come. I, as I recalled, last year it was over 5,000. Does that mm, ring a bell yeah. with you? Uh, of these kinds of visits, and that is funded in part by the Archbishop's annual appeal, but, and which means the generosity of the Catholic people. They're just, uh, you know, in this uh, time of, of year when we have to deal with some very significant uh, challenges for some of our schools with regard to both enrollment and money, and sadly is le- leading to a diminishment of some of our schools of, of having to close, but nevertheless, uh, the AAA also helps fund in part uh, tuition assistance to some of our school uh, families. There are other things that do that as well, but, but that's an important part. So there's just all kinds of things that are part. I'm just giving you the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And uh, for those who want to know more, if you go to Archdiocesan website, I'm sure you can find more information uh, and, uh, about this, uh, this great work which, as I say, is it might have my name on it, Archbishop's Annual Appeal, but really it belongs to and is the success of the uh, generosity of the Catholic people. And this weekend, kickoff weekend, you had a, a very special, in parishes throughout the Archdiocese of Hartford, a video was shown, and basically you're, it's a homily talking about the importance of the appeal and the importance of the work that the appeal does not only within the archdiocesan family, but beyond the archdiocesan family, beyond the Catholic family, as a matter of fact. The Archbishop's Annual of People helps people of all faiths in various circumstances of need throughout uh, throughout Connecticut. Yes, and of course it is a homily on the readings for this first Sunday of Lent. It's very much devoted to the spiritual uh, reality and challenge of Lent for all of us uh, in light of the Scripture readings, but also it concludes with a, a connection of faith in action Uh, to the appeal, because Lent traditionally has always been involved with three disciplines. First of all, the discipline of prayer, that it's supposed to be a time of deeper prayer and disciplined prayer. Uh, Also, the discipline of the body with regard to fasting and uh, self-denial. But the third pillar, if you will, of Lent is always a charity. And Mm -hmm. that's the, the bond, the connection that draws this all together and makes the appeal and the good that it does uh, not just some, uh, you know, add-on to Lent or, or something foreign to what Lent is about, but it's very much part of the spiritual uh, meaning of Lent. Well, we'll hear more about your feelings and, and perspective when it comes to viewing the, the gospel for today and the temptations of Jesus. Today, being March 1st, it's also the start of Employee Spirit Month, and this month seeks to inspire the most vital part of any organization, obviously, its employees. And as the spiritual leader of the Archdiocese, what do you do to keep the morale of, for instance, your staff, keep them motivated and keep morale high? Well, I think when you're working for the church, it's extremely important to me that there be a commitment to the mission. Mm. And I'm sure that's true of any organization, no matter what it is, that there has to be a, a vision and commitment to the mission. So we try very much to underscore here in the Archdiocese, and of course this would be true just as much of a parish or of Catholic charities or whatever, that mission is paramount. And so you're, you're, you're contributing something to an enterprise, if you want to call it that, or an organization or whatever, that is doing good and that you can believe in. Now, obviously some forms of work are more directly involved with the directly with the mission than others. Some are just support kinds of uh, things. 
But I, I do think we try to do that, and I hope I have reason to believe that uh, our employees uh, here, our co-workers, really appreciate uh, what the church is trying to accomplish with God's help. Right. As spiritual leader of the archdiocese, do you feel that it is your responsibility to help build the morale of priests, for instance? Well, the morale of priests is a very interesting thing. Of course, the answer to your question is, of course. Uh, you know, the bishop uh, is given a very daunting task that he is, the, the church says that a bishop is to be both a father and brother to his priests. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the fatherhood aspect and the brotherhood aspect somehow complement one another. And I, I dare say that sometimes it's more of one than the other, depending on the circumstance or depending on, uh, you know, the occasion. But yes, I, but, but what's interesting is in national surveys that are made of various uh, walks of life, professions, jobs, uh, clergy always come out near the top of the list for job satisfaction. And that's not only true of Catholics, but it does certainly include priests. And yet, of course, we all know that today um, morale can be a daunting challenge because we face such a diminishment in the number of priests. Mm. And we, the priests who are, are out there in the field are working very hard, often alone, in places that used to have three priests, and now there's one. And the one priest that's there might be of a certain age where he's getting tired. He can't, he can't, he doesn't have the same energy that, that he once had. I know all about that uh, as I approach my 71st birthday. But there are priests who are even, uh, old, you know, older, much older than, than 70, 71, who are working very hard. And so uh, all of those things come together. I, did, I always want to say to our people to pray for your priests and support your priests. I mean, sometimes priests do things that we have to say, well, that wasn't the wisest or best thing to do. Priests are human beings like everybody else, as are bishops, I might add. Mm-hmm. And um, so we're not perfect. And sometimes we need to be even taken to task for something. But certainly, on the whole, our priests uh, are, are certainly are worthy and deserve uh, the full support, spiritual uh, and in every other way, uh, of our Catholic people. You know, today it's very difficult, too, because, and I mean, it's just this world in which we live. It's been said that we live in an entitlement kind of society where people expect to be have what they want when they want it and to be served the way they want. And if they're unhappy, they don't, they're not shy about uh, telling you, you know. And uh, I think we all have to back off of that a little bit and realize that we're, we're all human and we sometimes the demands we make can really be unreasonable. In summary, I would just say that we need to pray for our priests and we need to support them as best we can and we need to pray for vocations. And those of you who are not celibate, uh, you need to uh, encourage your sons and grandsons and nephews and other uh, fine young men whom you may meet to consider the priesthood. Well, today also kicks off Words Matter Week which was designed to remind all of us to be mindful of the words that we say. You know, saying the right words is important because if someone takes what you say the wrong way, you can easily offend them. Spreading positivity with our words can help make the world a better place. And since today is also World Compliment Day, we should all share some positivity with some kind words to one another. Do you think compliments can go a long way for those people in need of a boost, Archbishop? Well, yes, I think as long as they are... uh based in reality and they are heartfelt, uh, yes, I think that, uh, that that's uh, a very good thing to look 
for the positive in other yeah. people and to give them encouragement. I mean, that's what we all need. We all need encouragement. So that's a great act of um, a charity. And within the church, within the communion of the church, it is a great act of uh, ecclesial communion uh, to encourage one another in the practice of the faith, in our participation in church life and everything else, you know. You probably haven't seen it yet as we record this program, but I devoted my uh, little uh, article in the uh, in the Catholic transcript uh, to this thing about the words, the importance of words. You know, mm. I begin by quoting St. Augustine, who said that words, those precious cups of meaning, that's the way he put it, that each word is like a, a vessel, like a cup that is filled with meaning uh, and that we shouldn't uh, abuse uh, our words, but we should use them carefully and well and charitably. Friday, Archbishop, is World Day of Prayer. It's a worldwide ecumenical movement of Christian women of many different traditions, religious traditions, come together to observe a common day of prayer each year. Is there one prayer intention that especially stands out for you that you would recommend to us as most worthy of our prayers this coming Friday? Yes, it is for the reigniting and renewal of the faith among uh, people, faith in God uh, in the people of, of our country and our world. Because, you know, we talk about divisions in our society and how people are all fighting with one another. And we might say, well, that's what we should pray for. But I will tell you honestly, I think the fundamental root of those divisions and of this acrimony among people and even hatred is uh, due in large part to the abandonment of religion and faith. So many people do not practice uh, uh, their religion. Certainly among our Catholic people, there's been great falling off, and it's not just us. So to me, the root of all things is, you know, loving God above all things and then your neighbor as yourself. If you love God above all things, then you can truly love your neighbor. And without that, I don't think it's possible. And so that would be my great uh, prayer intention that people will be uh, brought back to a deep uh, and true and abiding religious faith and live their life accordingly. And that perhaps contributes to the happiness in life that we all need to experience. And this is a segment where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis that is drawn from some of the Pope's writings. So I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and then we'll ask you, Archbishop, to comment with your own thoughts on what Pope Francis has said. This is taken from his homily at Casa Santa Marta, delivered on May 4th of 2013, and it's called, You Are a Lamb, Don't Behave Like a Wolf. The Pope says, Jesus said to us, I send you like sheep amid wolves. Be careful, but simple. If we let ourselves be consumed by the spirit of vanity, if we hope to fight the wolves by becoming wolves ourselves, they will eat you alive. Because if you stop being a sheep, you won't have a shepherd to defend you, and you will fall into the hands of these wolves. You may ask yourselves, Father, what weapon can we use to defend ourselves from the seductions, the fireworks that the prince of this world uses? How do we defend ourselves from his flattery? The weapon is none other than Jesus, the Word of God, humility and meekness. Think about Jesus when he was slapped. What humility and meekness he showed. He could have insulted them, and instead he only asked a humble and meek question. Let us remember the passion of Christ. His prophet said of him, like a sheep that goes to the slaughter, he didn't cry out. Humility, humility and meekness. These are the weapons that the prince of the world, the spirit of the world, cannot stand. His temptations are mundane. He tempts with vanity and wealth. Humility and meekness negate these temptations. Archbishop, your thoughts. 
Yes, well, I'm reminded by the Pope's words of something that was said by St. John Chrysostom many, many centuries ago. And of course, Chrysostom was a great preacher. Chrysostom is really a, a title for him, not his name. It means golden-mouthed because mm. he was such an eloquent preacher and his homilies have come down to us through all these centuries. But John Chrysostom said, as long as we are sheep, we, are, we conquer. But when we become wolves, it is we that are overcome. And I think that very succinctly uh, says, reflects what Pope Francis is saying here. And this is a very, very instructive meditation to think about. That, you know, when we feel assailed, when the church is attacked, when uh, Christians are, are murdered and persecuted, and when we have to pay a t terrible price uh, for upholding our faith, even in modern America, uh, for ridicule and scorn or rejection, and that is becoming more and more the case for a lot of people. We have to close our eyes and remember Jesus and his passion. Uh, there too, it says he, he opened not his mouth. Uh, you know, uh, Pharisees and, and, and the chief priests brought in people to testify against Jesus falsely, to, to, right in his presence to denounce him in this, this trial, this court, for all kinds of horrible things that he, he did not do or that were distorted and twisted. And what did we, the scripture tells us, Jesus, like a lamb, was silent and opened not his mouth. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have to speak up for truth, uh, and we don't have a right to defend ourselves legitimately, like in legal cases, or even with regard to things that may be said that are untrue about us. But ultimately, we have to have within ourselves a real serenity, uh, that we, um, the serenity of one who, who places himself or herself totally in the hands of our Heavenly Father. Uh, and that that is what conquers the world. That's the only thing, really, that conquers the world. And so I repeat what Chrysostom said, as long as we are sheep, we, we conquer. But when we become wolves, then it is we who are conquered. Archbishop, let's look at, at our gospel reading for today, the first Sunday of Lent. Today's gospel is taken from Matthew's fourth chapter. After the gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you and ask for your thoughts on what the gospel means. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And afterward, he was hungry. And the tempter came. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge of you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Again it is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Archbishop, what are your thoughts as you hear this gospel account by Matthew? Well, it shows, first of all, the um, reality of Christ's uh, humanity, 
That is to say that Christ did not just have the appearance of uh, being a man, uh, the appearance uh, of, uh, of humanity. We call him, rightly so, the God-man. He is true God and true man. Of course, that's a great mystery, how that can both be combined in one person. Uh, but it was. That's our faith. And so we see Jesus in his humanity being tempted. But we also see in his humanity, not just to divinity, but in his humanity overcoming the temptation. Because if it were just uh, divinity, we could say, well, this is kind of play acting. You know, it's just a, sh a show. Mm -hmm. But that's not what the church teaches, that it is in his sacred humanity that Christ uh, overcomes the, uh, the temptations. Because, you know, he was hungry. He was experiencing physical hungry, hunger in his fast. And the devil tempting him, you know, about uh, the, uh, the bread uh, or the power, you know, to become Lord of everything. Uh, and, and Jesus says no. Uh, all of these things, uh, putting God to the test, so to speak, rather than uh, entrusting himself completely into the hands of his loving father, uh, and embracing uh, the weakness and uh, needs of the uh, 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 of the human uh, uh, body and and the human spirit, uh, but Jesus uh, was able to resist those temptations, and that becomes a model for us. Matthew tells us that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Are we talking about the Holy Spirit? And what business does the Holy Spirit have in leading Jesus into the desert to be tempted by Satan? Well, I think the idea is that uh, Jesus and his sacred humanity was uh, led uh, by uh, the Holy Spirit. Yes, that certainly is, uh, well, that's what the scripture tells us. And there's no contradiction there uh, to what we believe about uh, the incarnate word, about uh, God made man in the person of Christ. And again, all these things, everything in Jesus' life, all that he said, all that he did, all that happened to him, were all part of you know, the providential plan of God. Uh, for our redemption in Christ. Let's talk a little bit about temptation, because Jesus was Satan's prize, so to speak. If you could actually succeed in tempting God's Son, what a, what a feather in his cap for Satan. Huh? Doesn't it seem that the closer you are to God, the more fervently Satan works to tempt you and cause you to sin? Well, I think, yes, obviously, uh, for a person of virtue, Satan would, would be uh, enticed uh, to tempt in various ways. But I remember, too, that a person of virtue is also uh, given the strength and grace of God's protection and help to overcome. We shouldn't overestimate the uh, Satan's power, the power of evil over us. You know, we have been freed of evil by Christ. And uh, this is an extremely important thing to remember, that even though we bear our human weakness still, that a virtuous life and living a good life and overcoming sin are not just ideals. You know, we say, oh, well, I'm just human. That's ideal, but what am I going to do? No, we have to believe if we, if we do what Christ tells us and live as he told us to do, that we are actually able to live these things. They're not just remote ideals. That doesn't mean it's not a struggle. That doesn't mean we don't fall sometimes. That's why we have confession. But it is possible to live a virtuous life. By, uh, by the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. I would think that it is wrong for us to believe that we, as human beings, human individuals, can overcome temptation on our own power alone. And therefore, God's grace, to realize that God's grace is so important to us, and to ask for God's grace at moments when we feel tempted to do something that is wrong, we should be asking for God's grace 
as an aid in overcoming temptation. Yes, and sometimes God permits us to fall into sin. Not that that's his will uh, for, for, you know, ultimately for us, but sometimes we, it is through our weakness and through our failures that we actually learn God's ways and we, we are brought, we're brought to our knees, so to speak, so that we can smarten up and wise up about the need that we have for God and for his grace. You know, none of us is perfect. We live in this veil of tears and we have our weaknesses and our sins. And we, we struggle against that and God gives us the grace. Uh, but we have to keep striving for that. We can never just throw in the towel and say, well, I can't live the ideal. This is just the way I am. That would be a terrible mistake. Well, I've been accused of talking too much, and indeed, I've done so during this program today because we're quickly running out of time, but I'd like to see if we can't get in a few questions from our listeners. For instance, George from Oxford says, I went to Mass February 14th, and while the whole country was focused on celebrating Valentine's Day, the Mass was a memorial for St. Cyril and Methodius. Why does the Church not celebrate St. Valentine on February 14th? That's a good question. I don't remember if in the re- in the old calendar it must have been St. Valentine's Day, was it not? Yeah, Do you I, remember? I, I don't remember myself either. Yeah. Um, well, but I that's think, probably a good explanation. It, it, but I really don't know why. But I will, I'll venture this comment that perhaps it's precisely because Saint Val- the, the Valentine's Day has become so uh, secularized and so totally removed from uh, any religious uh, uh, significance to speak of that uh, maybe that's why the thought was that, uh, I mean, there's a reason for celebrating St. Cyril and Methodius on that day. It's probably the day that one of them died. And I, you know, that's a very interesting, I should look in the Roman martyrology. St. Valentine's might still be on February 14th because not every, not every saint's day that's in the martyrology, which is the big calendar of the universal church for the whole world, not everyone is in the missal or ordinarily celebrated, but it might still it might still be there. I suspect that it probably still is, and quite honestly, I think if it is in there, is well, Saint Cyril Methodius. Though I don't remember if it's an optional memorial or required one. If it was optional, and if Saint Valentine is in the martyrology, a priest could actually celebrate it. But I want to be careful about that because I'm not. I think it might be a. Uh, obligatory memorial for St. Cyril and Methodius. George, I'm sorry to give such a uh, complicated answer, uh, but, uh, well, you know, when I was in grade school, I remember the sisters had us make Valentine cards for one another in the classroom because it was St. Valentine. And, of course, very few people put the saint before it anymore, like so many things. Carl from South Windsor says, I hear there is a March for Life happening in Hartford in April. How is it different from the march held in Washington each January? Should I attend? Well, Carl, let me answer the last thing first. Yes, I hope you will attend. And it is here under the auspices of the Connecticut Catholic Conference and also ecumenical groups, ecumenical organizers. It's not just Catholic. How is it different from the March in Washington? Well, because this is meant to draw attention to this locally in our own state. We can never do enough to try to bear witness to the dignity and right to life of every person from conception until natural death. You know, here, right, I read recently that yet again this year uh, in the legislature, assisted suicide is going to come up. And every year there's a lot of testimony from people opposed to it, uh, and it doesn't come to a vote. But those who are trying to push that through keep bringing it up year after year. So we have to constantly be on our our guard. We have to be vigilant and proactive. And uh, there are many threats to life in our society today 
at the beginning, at the end, and in between. Yeah, we have one in Washington, but we certainly could use a march of witness like this in Connecticut. And that march will take place on April 15th. We can't forget about that. That's tax day, April 15th. And now, since we're quickly running out of time, can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord God, once again this year, you grace each of us with the opportunity to turn away from sin and to believe in the gospel during Lent, a time of special focus on our need for deeper prayer and for penance and for charity to our neighbor. We pray that this Lent may be truly blessed for each one of us, that we may celebrate Easter joyfully and be able to draw closer to you and to one another in faith, hope, and love. And may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you next week at 7 o'clock with a repeat at 11.30. And until then, we wish you a wonderful week. Thank you. You too. Thank you.